Thank you for tuning in to the St. Thomas Episcopal Church Advent Calendar Podcast. We hope this episode will be a blessing to you as you are to us for tuning in today. Enjoy. I'm here with my friend, the Dr. Robert Metzger, uh, a world traveler, a, a researcher, a explorer, a professor. Robert, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us how you got to Alabama, the long journey to Alabama. <laughs> well, that's actually an odd story. So I was born in 1940 in Yokohama, Japan. We were part of the Hungarian diplomatic mission to Japan. My father wrote and spoke Japanese, wrote a dictionary, translated works, but world war was kind of in the way and he wanted peace, not war. Anyway, so in 1946, we could leave Japan on a ship. I think it took about a month to go from Yokohama all the way to Le Havre, France, crossing the Panama Canal. And we landed and went to Paris and my father started asking because he planned to go back to Hungary and uh, continue his career. But he found that this Red Army was there. He remembered the four months of communism in Hungary in 1919. No, thank you. When are they leaving? They're not leaving. So we applied for immigration to the United States and Canada and uh, stayed about a year and a half in Paris. So I did first grade in Paris, had to learn Le Francais, which was actually easy. I, before that, I spoke Japanese fluently and English with a tutor and of course, Hungarian at home. Adding uh, French was not difficult. My father had these language gifts and I inherited some of them. Then on a lark in 1947, we decided to visit a town in Northern Italy called Merano or Meran, which is in the just west of the Dolomites in Alto Adige. It used to be Austro-Hungarian Empire and became Italy in 1920. Uh, and I went to elementary school, middle school and high school in Merano. And my father uh, finally got a visa to go to the States, but the problem was he was gonna go ahead without renewing his visa and leave me behind to graduate from high school because the graduation of high school was in July and his flight was in March. He asked, can, he, can his son travel separately? And they said, oh, sure. Then they came back and said, oh yeah, but he has to come under the Japanese quota. Now the Hungarian quota took 12 years. My father and mother said, no way, Jose. So we left all together and I'm a high school dropout. I don't have a high school uh, uh, maturita classica. Well, I, that, that didn't stop you from uh, going and earning a PhD. So how did you- I know. So the, the, trick, the trick was uh, college boards. I was told to take the college boards. I chose uh, mathematics and chemistry and uh, something else. And I, I think one of those things I scored a perfect 800. Oh, welcome to UCLA. Um, my parents were in Los Angeles. My father did translation work and uh, helped immigrants with various things and taught some Hungarian and some English to the ones who didn't speak English. <clears throat> and uh, I went to UCLA because this was an obvious place to go. Um, because it was close enough to home. And then I finished my degree in three years, met Dr. Libby, who was the inventor of the carbon-14 radioactive dating and had a Nobel Prize that he got whilst I was taking PCAM, the PCAM course from him. And he helped me choose graduate schools and he wanted me to go to Houston, Texas to Rice University. I looked at the climate and I said, this is too humid. I don't like that. So I said, Dr. Libby, my parents are here in Los Angeles. I better 
stay closer to home. Well, I got into Caltech. <laughs> it was for me like meeting the sky, okay? And then two years after being in Pasadena with all the smog it had, my advisor, Harden uh, McConnell, was hired away to Stanford. So the whole group moved to Stanford. So I was still a Caltech student, but in absentia at Stanford. Postdoc a bit at Stanford, got my first job in Mississippi. I had actually two job offers, one from Mississippi State, one from what's called Ole Miss. Ole Miss looked better from the standpoint of culture, so I took Ole Miss. Stayed there 15 years, and then Michael Kava came to be a professor who came to Tuscaloosa from the University of Pennsylvania. He was trying to escape the cold winters, and he wanted me to be his sidekick. So suddenly, I'm offered to move across town, uh, move across into a different state, and became a professor in Tuscaloosa, and after 34 years, I retired. My kava died. The reason I chose chemistry is very simple. 20th century, I was prepared by the Italian school system to be the perfect government bureaucrat of the 1800s. And I said, this is insane. This is the century of science. Things are happening. So which science? Well, in between, I spent about four months in Enfield Grammar School in England, and I made my decision right there and then that probably I shouldn't be a mathematician because I'm, a, I'm good at math, but not superbly good at it. So forget mathematics, forget theoretical physics. Uh, biology was a bunch of names and classifications. At the time, my high school textbook claimed that there were 48 chromosomes. I don't know if you know the story. Uh, somebody miscounted in 1922 and everybody repeated that. It took to the mid 60s, people said, look, I can't find 48, only 46. Okay. And of course, uh, DNA was, uh, the structural DNA came out, but I ignored it and I stayed in physical chemistry for all my career. And my path to um, religion, I was baptized immediately in Japan from a Roman Catholic as of the week after my birth. Um, but I have a kind of scientific way of looking at the whole problem, which is I studied philosophy extensively and decided there is no way logically to prove the existence of God. There just is no way. But, and here's my, my takeoff, I believe the universe is fantastic and surprising and mystifying, but it's much more beautiful with a God, God in it than without any God whatsoever. Uh, thinking that we just came here by accident and we're just an aberration that didn't please me. So now the question is, okay, God. And for me, there's no question that the, uh, I'll disagree with my Jewish friends, that of all the prophets of the old time, Jesus just towers way above them just as a prophet, let alone his mandate, okay? And so I embraced Christianity and Catholicism intensely without, however, rejecting the brothers in other faiths. I just feel that Jesus is just a fantastic human being and a, and a son of God. If I, if I believe in the resurrection. Well, Robert, I know that I know that if your faith is really important to you, which is wonderful. Um, you know, because sometimes people caught up uh, heavily in science. Sometimes people, I think, wrongly say or suggest wrongly that science is opposed to religion. But there's this overlap between science and religion, right? In our wonder of creation and our exploration of of the natural theology, but also you're not just in chemistry. You're also in some ways part of the people business that yes. you, um, 
obviously have traveled a lot with your wife and, and taken a lot of groups abroad and, and experienced yep. that, but you also are always working with students and master's degree students and PhD students who are working under you. Um, so how's it been being a professor, you know, constantly engaging with all of those relationships? Well, it's, it's fun. I mean, uh, there are two, Judy claims there are two sides of me. One is the cold analytical computer programmer logic, logic and, and no humanity. And the other one is the human being who likes to consult with people. Judy beats me hands down. She knows how to make friends immediately. But I also have my moments and can do that. And the way that God enters into my life, as a, as a for instance, there's a fellow at, who retired from Oxford University by the name of Peter Atkins, and he's a pronounced atheist. And whenever I meet him, I, I enjoy kneeling just slightly, okay? Because it's his choice and it's his, his life, not mine. But to me, humbling myself to the universe, I'll give you one small example. In my textbook, which I published in 2012, there's a chapter on quantum mechanics, and I decided to use Hebrew as the first word of the beginning of the chapter, Bereshit, in the beginning. Because in fact, for, with Libya, I studied black holes and it all kind of made sense. And there is kind of a symphony between the small discoveries we make slowly and patiently and with great difficulty in science and the beautiful part of revelation that says, hey, this is the game. The game is God. And when I was in, of all things, on my trips, um, when was it, last year? I was in Poland. I went, I went to a small, a new Catholic church uh, built around the time of John Paul II. I came out, as I told you yesterday, and I saw a big sign in Latin, totus tuus, I'm all yours. I said, wow, that is exactly what faith is all about. And the more difficult mission is we have to love our enemies. Now, that is a toughie. My Jewish friend says, we, we can't do that. <laughs> We're unable to do so. Well, Jesus essentially showed it by his life, that he managed to forgive his enemies. And in his divine way, he gave us inspiration. In his human way, he gave an example that is unparalleled in history. There have been many other people who have been considered prophets in various faiths, but I'm sorry, I'm a bit partial. But when I was a teenager, we had a Jesuit priest come to talk to us Italian teenagers, and he told us, you know, I'm pretty convinced, he said, that as of now, there are no more than 500 true Christians alive today. In other words, our faith is practiced to the utmost, maybe my Mother Teresa, people like that, it's so hard that we're only partially as good as what God would want, want from us. But we at least, and in everything I've discovered about science, about galaxies, about neutrons, about fundamental particles, it's all part of this huge thing. And we are just little fellas living on a small planet in a second-rate scholar system in one of the zillion galaxies. The universe is incredibly large. And if we can find it, Physical proofs of various things are wonderful, but the emotional thing is, uh, and this was said in the Old Testament very clearly, please uh, admire, worship God and no other. And I think that is a high mandate. And I think, however, that if you have high faith, you also have high deeds. 
Well, Robert, I, th I think this is a beautiful testimony of faith that through your life and career and through your study and research, through the relationships you've had, that you've always brought your faith along with you. And I know that while you raised Roman Catholic, you spent the last several years with us at the Anglican Church at St. Thomas. Yes. And I'm grateful for that wisdom that you brought to us, for that friendship and uh, for that witness. I want to thank you for being with me today. I think this was a perfect conversation. And I'm really grateful for this. So, Robert, I want to thank you and say, may God be with you and bless you. Same to you, Father. You've been a wonderful, great addition to the... We just all of us love you. We may disagree with you, but we love you. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to the St. Thomas Episcopal Church Advent Calendar Podcast. This is the Reverend Josiah Ringers inviting you to join us every Sunday at St. Thomas at 8.15, 10.30, or 5 p.m. or online. Check us out at stthomasepiscopal.net. Thanks again, and may God bless you.